0: Please open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's invite the Lord to guide us in His Word this morning. Our gracious, merciful, Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that You are sovereign, that You are Good and kind gentle and generous you are righteous and holy we submit ourselves before you this day we ask that the songs that we have just sung will have been a, an aroma pleasing in your sight that you will search our hearts and find us ready and willing to worship you in spirit and in truth. I'm thankful for the reminders of these songs that we sing, the truth that is there, teaching us who you are, teaching us who we are in Christ, teaching us about this salvation that we have in you. We rejoice. And we give thanks. We invite you now, Father, by the work of your Holy Spirit, through the agency of your Word, to teach us the truth. That we might be built up, encouraged in our faith. We might be equipped to carry out the mission that you've called us into. To make disciples of all people. To proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. To live it and to speak it. Until you call us home. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of a Highly Effective People, tells a story. That happened to him many years ago while he was uh, on a, a subway in New York City. He said the people were sitting quietly, some reading newspapers, some lost in thought, some resting with their eyes closed. It was calm and peaceful scene. And then suddenly a man and his children entered the subway car children were so loud and rambunctious that instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat down next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was very disturbing. Yet the man sitting next to me did nothing. It was difficult not to feel irritated. I could not believe that he could be so insensitive To let his children run run wild like that and do nothing about it, taking no responsibility at all. It was easy to see that everyone else on the subway felt irritated, too. So finally, with what I felt was unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him and said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time and then said softly, oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think. And I guess they don't know how to handle it either. In that moment, everything changed. And yet nothing really changed. The kids were still rambunctious and still obnoxious and making noise, and the father was still not doing anything about it. Yet everything changed. No longer were the people irritated by the children, but they felt compassion. No longer were they angry at the father for not doing anything, but they felt pity and sorrow for this man and his situation. The only thing that really changed was new revelation. A different perspective on the situation. The book of Ecclesiastes is a book about perspective. In fact, without the understanding of why this is written and for what perspective it is written, we find Ecclesiastes to be an incredibly difficult book To understand, in fact, one commentator begins his comments this way: "He says Ecclesiastes is often looked upon as the Bible's resident alien. Other books may be considered perplexing, like the Book of Job, or as superseded by the New Testament revelation, like the Book of Leviticus. But many read Ecclesiastes, however, with the distinct feeling that this book does not really belong in the Bible." Thirty-eight different times in these 12 chapters, the book Vanity is found. Vanity, it means meaninglessness or futility. It means a vapor, a breath, that which is fleeting away. It can also mean absurdity. Also, the phrase under the sun is found 29 times, and what that means is simply life here on earth. right Under the sun. When we pursue meaning, value, and significance in this world that is under the sun, we find that it leaves us empty and devoid of meaning. It's futility. It's vanity. It's absurdity. In other words, when we pursue the things in this life as an end in themselves, we are woefully disappointed. woefully disappointed. And many of us have experienced that, right? As we've sought after, as we've gone after things in this life, in this world, whether it's cars or money or or fame, position, we find when we get it, it doesn't give us what we thought we were going to get when we got there. Satisfaction in life can only be found by looking beyond this world, beyond the sun. Ecclesiastes gives an analysis of negative themes, but it also develops the positive theme of overcoming the vanities of life by fearing a God who is good, who is just, who is sovereign. Wisdom involves seeing life from a divine perspective and trusting God in the face of apparent futility and lack of purpose. We can enjoy the things in this life when we see them as gifts from the hand of God. In fact, in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, verse 24, the writer says this, There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that is from the hand of God. For who can eat who can have enjoyment without Him? There is also a clue within the book of Ecclesiastes that helps us see the perspective the author is writing from. And that is that he uses the term Elohim 41 different times rather than the term Yahweh to refer to God. Elohim Speaks of the creator-creature relationship. Yahweh speaks of the redeemer-redeemed relationship. It's about covenant. It's about relationship. When we see Yahweh, we see a covenant-keeping God. A God who invites us into relationship with Himself. Elohim is our Creator. And we are creatures of the Creator. And so, the writer is writing to help us see what life is like when this is all there is. When this is our pursuit, the stuff of this life, as creatures under God's creation, apart from relationship with God. Traditionally speaking, the authorship of Ecclesiastes has been attributed to Solomon, who refers to himself as the teacher or the preacher. The reason for that is because the word Ecclesiastes in Hebrew, Kohaleth, means one who addresses an assembly. Right? one who teaches or preaches to a group of people. So we come to the book of Ecclesiastes, a book, again, that's been misunderstood often. It's been maybe written off. Thought, this this can't be this can't be part of the Bible. We want to try to understand it from the perspective from which it was written. Life under the sun. Pursuits under the sun. And I've given you on your outline a, a, a chart that uh, kind of outlines the book in three sections. Many scholars kind of come at this very differently. Uh, but this particular grouping comes from um, Bruce Wilkinson and Kenneth Boa's book, Talk Through the Bible, And divided into three sections, it seems to make sense to me, and so that's why I've given it to you this way. So we've got the thesis in chapters 1, verses 1 through 11, which is what he says in verse 2, Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Right? It's just, everything is meaningless. It's futile. It's absurdity. Then we have the proof, chapter 1, verse 12 to chapter 6 verse 12. And he gives one proof after another as he pursues these different kinds of things in this world. And he comes to this conclusion that life itself is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. And then in the end, there, chapter 7 through chapter 12, he gives his counsel. And that is (laughs) fear God And keep His commandments. That is, understand that this is not all there is. There is a God in heaven. We must recognize who He is. We must respond to Him with worship and awe. And we must submit to Him. This is what the fear of the Lord is, as we've talked about. And then we walk in accord with His commands. Because as our Creator and as our Redeemer, He knows how He created us. He knows why He created us. He knows what His purpose for our lives is. And so, His Word gives us direction on how to live in the way He intended us to live. Rather than pursuing all of this that leads to nothing in and of itself. Gain a perspective beyond. And when you gain that perspective, you can then look at the absurdities of this life from a different perspective. See, though nothing maybe changes in the day-to-day, everything changes because our perspective changes. We're able to then deal with it in the way God intended us to. This morning, we're going to look at this thesis in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 1. There's probably... I'm sure there there are, because it's all the Scripture. But as I think about our culture today, there may not be a better time in all of history for us to understand the book of Ecclesiastes. And so I am compelled, I have to verify this in my time with the Lord, but I feel as if God would have me maybe to spend a considerable amount of time in this book, working through it chapter by chapter um, after we finish the poetic books, um, come back to this and work through it more in more detail. Um, but I will I'll let you know for sure if that's the direction I believe God is leading us. But this morning, we want to take a look at verses 1 through 11. Let me go ahead and read it. The words of the preacher the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Also the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place it rises there again. Blowing toward the south, then turning toward the north, the wind continues swirling along. And on its circular courses, the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full to the place where the rivers flow. There they flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done, so there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see this, it is new. Already it has existed for ages, which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things, and also of the later things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. Vanity of vanities. I believe that the message of the book of Ecclesiastes is simply this. Apart from God, nothing really matters in the end. Without God, everything else is meaningless in the end. It has value for the moment. And there is a place for all of this in God's understanding of how we are to function. But in the end, when it's all said and done, apart from God, it is meaningless. Why? Because everyone will one day perish off of this earth. And everything in this earth will be for naught. And so, let's take a look in more detail at what he is actually saying here in these first 11 verses. Well, of course, he introduces himself in verse 1. And he gives us the thesis, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And then we see, first of all, that life just goes on under the sun. It just goes on. Verse 3, what advantage is that? all of our work which we have done under the sun. What point is it of working and striving in this life if this is all there is? And oftentimes it isn't until we get to the end of our life that we look back and realize, man, I did the same thing for a long time. I feel like I haven't gotten very far. basically says in verse 4, people come and people go, right? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Every day somebody dies, and every day somebody is born. Every day. If you read the paper nowadays, you pick up the paper, every day you're going to read, if they still announce birth announcements in there, right? that will be announcements. Oh, baby's born. Oh, that's exciting. And then you read the obituary. Somebody died. Well, that's sad. People rejoice and grieve for a moment and then guess what? Life goes on. It just keeps going on. I remember I guess my, my father, when he passed away, was the first time somebody that close to me had passed away. I had grandparents pass away. Uh, but I remember thinking just even, you know, weeks and months after all, everything was over, the funeral were done, and, and everybody else went back to normal, and it didn't go back to normal for me. And I remember times wanting to just scream. Doesn't anybody know my dad passed away? I can't seem to get out of this fog. But for everybody else, other than the immediate family, right? Other than those who are immediately impacted by that, life just continues on. And that's the reality, right? For those who experience that kind of grief. I can't even imagine the death of a spouse or a child That kind of fog carries on for a long time. And everybody else just seems to act as if nothing's changed. And it, it seems as if they go on as if that person never even existed. That's futility, it seems. That's absurdity. right? People come and people go. Rabbi Harold Kushner recounts a a conversation he had with a man, he says, two weeks ago, this man said, for the first time in my life, I went to the funeral of a man my own age. I didn't know him well, but we worked together, talked to each other from time to time. Had kids about the same age. He died suddenly over the weekend. A bunch of us went to the funeral, each of us thinking, it could just as easily have been me. That was two weeks ago. They have already replaced him at the office. I hear his wife is moving out of the state to live with her parents. Two weeks ago, he was working 50 feet away from me, and now it's as if he never existed. It's like a rock falling into a pool of water, and then the water is the same as it was before, but the rock isn't there anymore. Rabbi, he said, I've hardly slept at all since then. I can't stop thinking they could have happened to me, and a few days later I will be forgotten as if I had never lived Shouldn't a man's life be more than that? Apart from God, nothing really matters in the end. People come and people go. Verse 5, 6 and 7, we see the sun rises and the sun sets. And hastens to its place, it rises there again. Guess what? The sun rose this morning, and the sun will set tonight. And no matter what happens today or tonight, it's going to rise again tomorrow, no matter what. <clears throat> you might not see it because of the clouds, but it will be there. Right? <clears throat> blowing toward the south, turning toward the, the north, verse 6, the wind continues swirling along in its circular course as the wind returns. We don't know where the wind comes from. We don't know where it goes, but it's blowing can't see it, but we can feel it. And it keeps going. All the rivers flow into the sea, and yet the sea never fills up. To the place where the rivers flow. There they flow again. Imagine, they didn't have any understanding of precipitation and all these things that we we understand in our enlightenment now. But the reality is, just keeps going on and on and on. Nature continues on its course no matter what. Just keeps going. I remember one time, I guess I was feeling a little philosophical, standing at the beach watching the waves crash in and go back out, and crash in and go back out, and you start thinking. Where's it, where, where does it go? And where does it come from? And why does it keep doing this? And it never seems to do anything but come in and out. and never accomplishes anything. It just keeps doing it. Then you come to verse 8. All things are wearisome man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. Nothing ultimately satisfies. Right? Oftentimes we think, man, if I just had the newest, the latest, the greatest, then I would be happy, I would be satisfied, it would make my life fulfilled. Right, well... We know that the new car smell does wear off. We know that eventually the car gets a ding in it. We no longer think of it the way we did when we first bought it. Right? The house gets lived in. The stuff that we have gets worn down. New technology comes along and something better comes along. And all of this, it just, this is reality. Nothing in this life ever ultimately satisfies though we keep going after it. We keep trying over and over again. And when we can't get satisfied with stuff, we think, well, we'll look to other people who seem to be, you know, making it in this world. David Jeremiah writes this. Isn't this what the entertainment industry is all about? And the devolution of that industry where promoters and media executives are in a continual search for the next bizarre television show or form of entertainment that will occupy our bored and restless hearts. A person who doesn't have God in his life is focused on the lives of others. The stars, the wealthy, the interesting. We try to relieve our boredom by looking into the lives of others who, if truth be told, are just as bored as everyone else if they don't know God. Right? All this stuff on social media, it's a facade. People are trying to make their life better or trying to pretend their life is wonderful. And we watch it and think, wow, everybody else has got all this great stuff and everybody else is having a wonderful time. And I'm bored and I don't have it. And guess what? Neither do they. They're just pretending. If you pretend long enough, maybe it will come true, I guess they think. He goes on to say this, in Acts 17, we have the record of the Apostle Paul his encounter with the Athenians who spent their time talking about what's new. Novelty, the greatest, latest and greatest. That's what they were all about. J. Vernon McGee used to say, if it's new, it isn't true. And if it's true, it isn't new. And he was right. The constant desire to acquire newer, better, bigger, and faster things is another evidence of our insatiable restlessness. Computers, televisions, electronic gadgets, cars, houses, even marriage partners. The constant quest for greener grass on the other side of the fence is an evidence of the relentlessness of our hearts or the restlessness of our hearts. Living life apart from God. We think... Right? The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. I love what Irma Baumbeck said. Life is always greener over the septic tank. Right? This is the way it is. Nothing ultimately satisfies. Apart from God, nothing really matters in the end. And then verses 9 through 11 There's nothing new under the sun. There are new inventions. There are new products, new discoveries, new technology all the time. What does he mean by there's nothing new under the sun? He means nothing new being created. Everything that we invent is just taking what's been created and reworking it. Thomas Edison, the great inventor, said this, that his inventions were only applying the secrets of nature for the happiness of mankind just taking what's here and reworking it in a way that benefits us here and now he says verse 9 that which has been or that which has been is that which will be and that which has been done is that which will be done because there's nothing new under the sun history repeats itself Keeps going and going. And the only thing we can do is learn from it and try not to repeat the stupid things that are a part of history. Whether it's our own history or history of those who've gone before us. But oftentimes we we don't. Things just keep going. We think something is new, but it's really not. It's just a reworking of what we already have. I mean, think about all the, again, I don't even watch these things anymore on TV, but it's just all these reality things. They're just a, a take on something that's already been done, trying to rework it, trying to change a little, a little craziness to make it more appealing. And again, I would imagine social media is a lot like that. I try not to spend much time there. the only thing, <clears throat> go off on a rabbit trail for a moment, right? The only thing that seems to happen in our culture that continues to, to be new or appealing is it just gets more immoral. Because we have to keep appealing to something more, more base and degrading within the human heart to make it exciting. That's why comedians, they're not funny anymore unless they throw a kind of vulgarity in. Rarely do you ever find a comedian who can be funny and be clean. Why? Because we are continuing as a culture going down that road and we we have to have something more surprising, something more shocking to get our attention. It's not new. It's just more base and degrading. History just keeps repeating itself. the same old stuff. it's just packaged differently. And then lastly, nothing new will change the inevitable course of life. <clears throat> Dwayne Garrett, in his commentary on Ecclesiastes, says this about verses nine through eleven, this passage is not a contradiction to the gospel, but a call for it. The world is in bondage, and humanity is unable to explain, find satisfaction in, or alter it. Only the Word who came into the world from above can open the way of understanding and escape. He has done a new thing. He has created a new covenant, given a new birth, new life, and a new commandment. And He gives a new name that will last forever, Everything else is old and passing away. You see, life under the sun, there's nothing new. And so God brought His Son into this world as a new thing to bring new birth, new life, new covenant, new command. And He gives you what you cannot find in this life. and as rescue from the absurdity of all this and from the consequences of sin in this world and in our life. You may be be listening to this and saying, man, I've gone after all these things. I have come to the place in my life where I realize that the things I've gone after I might have gained some of it. Much of it has been so frustrating I haven't been able to get where I wanted to go. And it just has left me feeling more empty than I was before. But even for those who have gone and gotten what they've gone after, you've found that it doesn't ultimately satisfy. Why? Because everything is meaningless under the sun. Apart from God, nothing really satisfies. Nothing ultimately matters. In the end. By God. Which changes everything. When God enters into the picture. When we begin to understand who He is. When we begin to embrace the reality of Him. As not only Creator. But as the one who loves us. And who sent His Son here to die in our place. To pay the punishment for our sin. And all the... the, junk of this world that is contrary to God. And He has given us new life through faith in Christ. He's given us purpose, meaning, and an understanding of our value. And He's called us to a mission. A mission that is in this world, but goes beyond this world. It is the gospel. It is the making of disciples. It's the only thing that lasts for eternity. <clears throat> Ray Pritchard reflects on, on this whole reality by telling this story. He says Scott was only 26 years old when he died. Although he grew up in a Christian home and during his teen years and early 20's he went through a period of rebellion and spiritual searching his life changed when the doctors discovered a brain tumor surgery brought a brief remission but then the cancer returned as the months passed his faith increased even as his physical condition worsened he began to seek the lord as never before the word of god became sweet to him he became bold in his witness especially to his many friends he asked God to use him to reach others so that he could point people to Christ no matter how long he had, he had left. God answered the request, but several months later, Scott died. During the funeral, his younger sister talked about how much she loved him, how as a young girl she wanted to be like him, and how, he exas- exasperated, uh, how exasperating he could be at times. And the cancer came. And she saw a difference, so profound, it changed everything. Her brother, she said, had figured out what life is all about. Then she said this, life is nothing without God. Scott had shown her that it doesn't matter how long you live or how much money you have or how well you do in your career. His faith at the end spoke one simple message, life is nothing without God. Ray says, when I stood up to deliver the message a few minutes later, I didn't have very much to say. I simply repeated what she said one more time. Life is nothing without God. I then made this simple application. If you live for 80 years but don't discover that truth, you've missed the very reason for your existence. If you should earn a million dollars, ten million dollars, and have hundreds of friends and the praise of your contemporaries, and if you have all that... All that, but don't figure out this basic truth. You're still in spiritual kindergarten. Life is nothing without God. Everything else is just details. Your career, your education, your degrees, your money, your fame, your accomplishments, your lifelong long-range goals, your dreams, your possessions, your friendships, they're all just details. If you don't figure out that God is the central truth of the universe, you will spend your days mired in details, drifting along with no clear purpose. That's the ultimate vanity that causes life to be meaningless. So the question is, have you discovered what life is all about? Apart from God, nothing really matters in the end. But when God invades your life through the person of Jesus Christ, your circumstances may not change, but everything changes. Because now, you're living for something beyond this world. As you continue to live in this world. And you have purpose. And God is calling each of us to understand. He has a purpose. A purpose even in the absurdity of what we're walking through as a culture, as a nation. There's a purpose for this. And it has a purpose for the absurdity of the things that are going on in your individual life. And that purpose is to show us this is not all there is. And if we put all of our hope in this, we're going to be woefully disappointed. But when our hope is found in God, then we find hope even in the absurdity, And we can walk through it, trusting the One who is above the Son, who is working all things according to His counsel and His good, perfect, and acceptable will. It's about trusting Him. Oh, Father, You know where we are. As a people, as a nation, as a culture, You know where we are as individuals right now. You know the struggle this is. You know that we are fighting an uphill battle to have the perspective of keeping you first in our life. You know that we're bombarded continually by a message that is contrary to you. It tells us the lies that This is all there is and go for it and and you are the most important person and all of these things we're bombarded with constantly. And yet this morning we're reminded from this book that in the end, apart from God, all this stuff means nothing. Lord, it's on us to believe it. And to live with this truth resonating in our hearts. Lord, you know. You know where where we are. You know the struggle that we're facing in this very moment To this truth. Meet each one of us right now in this this moment where, where that struggle takes place. Convince us of your truth. Not because I said it, but because you've Set it in your word because your spirit is taking that truth and moving it. Thank you, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name.